Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe Leiser, and my family and I have been coming here for almost seven years. I'm very excited and grateful to be able to speak to you guys, but I'm pretty nervous. Uh, when Jeremiah said Joe gets to back cleanup, he was wrong. Bat Brett batted cleanup, and like a good cleanup, he hit a home run. I, on the other hand, have the privilege of being the bottom of the order. My main job is like Jeremiah's, hit it into the grass, get on base, and turn the order over to better batters. And if I strike out, then no one is surprised, and we move on. So with God's help today, I'm going to try and not strike out. I want to pray before we get started. Dear God, I pray that you calm my nerves and guide my words. I want to be used by you and surrender to your will. Help us as we dive deeper into your word. Help us as we try to understand your truth and grace. And thank you for the people who have been praying for me this week and right now. Amen. Today we are wrapping up the series of truth and grace. We have been looking at how Jesus has spoken truth and given grace to different categories of people. We're going to be in the first part of John 5, at first in verses 1 through 9, and then we'll wrap up in verses 10 through 15. I want to address verse 4 before we read. I'm using the ESV today, and it does not contain verse 4. The ESV tries to use the earliest manuscripts available, and, and verse 4 has what some people say is a, a local legend, what others say was divine intervention, but it, it is not in the earliest manuscripts, and it's not in all the manuscripts, so the ESV does not use it. It does not, however, take away from what we can learn from this miracle. So let's read verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So Jesus had just come from Galilee to Jerusalem for a feast that the Jews were having, and he enters in through a sheep gate. And one of the things we have to be trying, to, we have been trying to focus on through this series is what segment of the population Jesus chooses to interact with. The first truth we recognize is this: that Jesus intentionally goes to people who aren't looking for him or don't realize that they need him. Think about that. Jesus intentionally goes to people who aren't looking for him or don't realize that they need him. There are probably two main thoughts that pop into people's heads when you hear that truth. The first one is being Jesus went to the less fortunate and the sinners, and maybe I should be doing that too, or you're already reaching out to them and you are thinking you're doing a pretty good job at being Jesus' hands and feet. The second thought is that wow, Jesus did come to me where I was at. How could he do that? Now, there's nothing wrong with either thought. 
And if you had the first thought, it's likely you were raised in a Christian environment and access to Jesus felt easier. If you had the second thought, some of you still can't believe that Jesus came to where you're at. And for those that don't know Jesus right now and you had a third thought, that you can't imagine coming to him where you are because you're not worthy, you are and he will. To go along with this first truth, we need to recognize that it took the same amount of grace to save each and every one of us. Whether your worst sin is being the spokesperson for the church grapevine or you have committed a major crime. Jesus still had to die on the cross so that your sin would be covered by his love and by his grace. So even though you might not be looking for him or you don't realize that you need him, he is seeking you out. After Jesus enters through the sheep gate, he goes to the pool at Bethesda where a multitude of invalids are at. So my question is, why is, why is Jesus not being swarmed by these people? We read in other scripture where, I mean, just people are flocking to him. He's surrounded. People just want to touch the hem of his garment because they know who he is. They understand what he is capable. They understand that this is Jesus, the Messiah. Some of them still doubted, but they still had an idea in their head of what he was capable of. There are more than likely over 100 invalids at this pool, hoping for a chance to be healed, hoping for a miracle, and they don't realize that the miracle is standing right in front of them. They don't realize that the man who was born of a virgin, the man who lived a perfect life even as a child, the man that turned the water to wine, healed the nobleman's son, drove out an evil spirit, healed Peter's mother-in-law, helped the disciples catch a boatload of fish, cleansed a man with leprosy, healed a paralyzed servant, healed the man that let down from the roof, healed a withered hand, raised a widow's son from the dead, calmed the stormy sea, cast demons into a herd of pigs, healed a blood issue, brought Jairus' daughter back to life, healed two different blind men, and healed a man who couldn't speak. He had already performed 17 recorded miracles before he got to this pool. And all of these people didn't recognize him. They were so busy looking to the pool for a miracle that they didn't see the living water standing right in front of them. Completely blind to it. How many times are we in our lives looking to a pool instead of recognizing Jesus? How many times are we looking for healing in the people around us? How many times are we looking for healing in the things that we do in sin? Whether that's drugs, alcohol, porn, gambling, men and women who aren't our spouses. How often are we looking for healing in our status or our shiny new possessions? The truth is that Jesus is standing next to us every day. All we have to do is recognize that he is there. He is there showering us in his undying grace. Jesus sees a man lying at the pool who has been an invalid for 38 years. I love this part of scripture where it says, they, it uses, a, a, I think, a very intentional word. It says he knew this man. He, it uses the word knew, not, not that he asked him questions or he asked around about him, but that he already knew this man, this nobody. He sees the man who isn't even allowed into the temple because of his invalidness. 
He sees a man who has no one that cares about him enough to put up him down to the pool. I want you to know that he sees you. He sees you in your happiness, and he sees you in your pain. He knows everything about you, and his desire is for you to know him. He looks to you just like he did the invalid and says, do you want to be healed? Now we read this and we all think, why didn't the invalid just say yes? That's all he had to do, right? I mean, all he had to do was just say yes, and it would have just been so much simpler. But I think the invalid did what many of us do when God asks us a question, and we make excuses just like he did. The invalid says no one, he has no one to help him down to the pool when it stirs. How many excuses do we make to God when he asks us a question? God never asks you a question he doesn't already know the answer to. God never challenges you without being prepared to give you the grace and strength to accomplish what he's challenging you with. Jesus looks at the man after he's given an excuse and tells him, get up, take up your mat, and walk. I want to talk about what I think this mat represents. This man had lived on his mat. He slept on it. He ate on it. He laid on it while he was waiting at the pool. And I imagine that it is what was used to carry him from place to place. He needed that mat. Everything that he did was on that mat. After Jesus healed him, he no longer depended on that mat. He was able to use what Jesus had done for him to now carry his mat. When Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk, he healed him in the same way he heals us and allows us to no longer have to identify and be carried by our mat. Through his love, strength, and grace, we can now identify as a child of God. So the question is, do you want to be healed? Because the truth of the matter is, some of you don't. Some of us don't. I mean, that's just the simple fact that we, we deny God all the time. We deny him full access to us. Some people only identify as a victim and a person of pain because you don't know who you'll be if he takes it away. Some people don't want to be healed because it will take away their excuse and they will have to take the responsibility for their bad behavior. If you get healed and God makes you whole, what's your excuse then for how you act? Do you want to be healed? Because the want to comes before the how to. You have to desire him. Do you want the responsibility of being healed? Because Jesus, Jesus changes who you are, and then that changes what you do. The mat that is carrying you is not your identity. You do not have to be the addict, you do not have to be the victim, and you don't have to be the gossiper. You are redeemed, and you are a child of God. The invalid has now experienced God's grace, and even though he made an excuse, Jesus still graced him with healing. Let's read verses 10 through 15 and see how, what he does next and how he reacts to it. Now that day was a Sabbath, 
So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man that said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know it was, who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. It's amazing that the invalid still didn't know who had healed him. The Jews asked him, who told you it was okay for you to walk? How dare you? It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that. Forget celebrating the fact that a man who had been an invalid for 38 years was able to walk. No, they were like, hold up. This is not okay with us. Don't be like that. Don't be so caught up in legalism and tradition that you miss the fact that God is working. Now notice that one of the first places the healed man goes is to the temple. He hadn't been there in at least 38 years. And remember, Jesus changes who you are, and then that changes what you're going to do. Jesus sees him at the temple and says, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. There is biblical precedent that proves Jesus isn't talking about his physical body. He wasn't telling him this so that next time he sinned, he would end up blind and paralyzed. So what is he talking about? I personally think he's referencing his soul. Jesus is telling him to go and sin no more so that he wouldn't go to hell. Because at this point, they were still dependent on sacrifices and old law for salvation. Jesus is not only concerned about his physical health, but his spiritual health. After this interaction, the man goes back to the Jews and says, it was Jesus. Jesus was the one who healed me. He finally realized and understood that it was Jesus the Messiah who had healed him. After he went to the temple and drew closer to God, he saw how Jesus had worked in his life. How many times do we look into the past and realize God was protecting us and guiding us to him? We just don't realize it until we have a relationship with him. Now, what I didn't tell you about myself earlier is that before coming to FBCW, I didn't have a relationship with God since I was 17, 18 years old. Who has heard of the Bible Belt? Okay, well, I, the Bible Belt is a southern chain that where it is mostly Baptist churches and not very many other denominations have a very strong footprint in that area. Well, I grew up in what is known as the buckle of the Bible Belt. My hometown has an independent fundamental KJV-only church every quarter of a mile for a two-mile stretch in multiple places. I grew up in a very legalistic church culture, a very hellfire and brimstone culture, I knew God loved me, but my main reason for getting saved was because the thought of going to hell terrified me. I saw some people have a very real relationship with God, but a lot more felt like they just did it to just pretend like they did, to look like they did. 
And this messed with me to the point that all I felt like I could see in the church was hypocrisy. That's when looking like a Christian became the pool that I was looking to for healing. I thought that if I looked like a Christian for long enough, it would just stick. I would have a a real relationship with God if I just acted like it. No real desire, just acted like a good person and like a Christian. There are so many times that I can look back and see God asking me, do you want to be healed? And I would give an excuse as to why I couldn't be. So after not focusing on a relationship with God and instead just trying to act like a Christian, I laid down on my mat and I gave up. I hadn't felt myself growing any closer to God because all I'd been doing was looking to a a pool for a miracle. I thought that I wasn't worthy of God's love because I hadn't been able to be a good enough Christian. I stopped going to church and I was living in sin. But fast forward two years later and we had my daughter Paige. Now, if you don't know Paige, look for someone who's my spitting image and is just as loud as I am. Because I guarantee you, those of you who have not seen her and recognize her, you have heard her at one point in time. We decided that we wanted her to be raised in church. And we heard about FBCW and we started attending. Skip, I had another two years of attending church on a regular basis, and I was doing better. My relationship with God was a little better, but I still didn't feel worthy of his grace. And that's when Zach McCray invited me to go to Emmaus. And it was life-changing. The whole weekend culminates into one beautiful display of the truth of God's love. And for the first time, I realized how much God loved me and that because of Jesus dying on the cross, I was able to experience his amazing grace. This time when God asked me, do you want to be healed? I didn't make an excuse. I was able to stop looking to the pool for a miracle and I was able to stop being carried by my mat. I came home from Emmaus a changed man. I no longer wanted to just look like a Christian. I wanted an intimate relationship with God. I now understood that me feeling like I wasn't worthy of God's love was just a frame of mind that Satan had convinced me of. The truth is that, yes, none of us are worthy in of ourselves, but Jesus died on the cross for each of us so that when we have a relationship with him, he covers us in a grace that has no limits. I do want to take a second... And I want to mention that I am very grateful to Zach McCray for inviting me to Emmaus. He put me in a position where I could feel God working in my life. And I, I'm, it changed me. Our jobs are not to do the healing. Only God can heal people. Our jobs are to be a light to them and to help them bring to them to Jesus so that he can be the one that does the healing. So are you looking to the pool? For a miracle? Or are you looking to Jesus for healing? Do you want to be healed? Or are you making excuses for why God can't? Do you want to be identified as the mat that is carrying you? The struggle that you have? Or are you ready to be identified as a child of God and hear God say, get up, take up your mat and walk?
Do you want God to speak these truths into your life? Because when you are ready to say yes, his grace is already there waiting on you. He's desired us far longer than we have desired him. Let's pray.